gentlemen, boys and ghouls, to all of our non-binary friends, to everyone on the spectrum and in between, welcome to our 40th episode of The Shutter Show. My name is David Marlowe, and this here is my co-host, Ken Stacknick. Ken, baby, how you doing? Oh, it's just another day in paradise, David. Oh, so you live in the dream? Oh, you know it, buddy. Yeah, sounds like you. Sounds like you've been keeping pretty busy. Put my uh, phone's going off already. Jesus Christ, that one professional with me. Yeah, no, um, I've, got, uh, I've got some stuff going. Uh, I've got uh, a work trip here that's coming up that I'm pretty excited about. I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll, com- I'll completely believe that when I'm on the plane on the way. Until then, precisely. I'm still, yep, yep. Until then, Knock, I'm still... knocking on that, knocking on that wood every day. Indeed. Yeah, it's um, Ken. Can you? Uh, can you? Tell me, perhaps, uh, what film I have brought you today? Well, for this uh, Freaky Friday episode, David, you brought us the 2010 film I Saw the Devil, directed by Kim Ji-Woon. Indeed, I did. Ken, this is your first time seeing this film, correct? This is, in fact, my first time seeing this film. I had um, danced around this film quite a bit. It was always uh, a film that I also uh, I, I usually saw come up in my mentions and uh, suggestions. There was a lot of the South Korean new wave uh, or noir wave that uh, I was very interested in, saw a lot of. And I saw um, Kim, uh, one of Kim's uh, earlier films, Tale of Two Sisters, I definitely saw. And then uh, saw Last, Last Stand as well. I actually had a friend, uh, Luke, who worked on Last Stand as well. Um, and so this was, yeah, this is a movie I had heard a bunch about that I'd always heard good things about, but for no particular reason, I just never quite got around to it. And well, that's one of the reasons that I really like doing this show is it gives me a reason to check out those films that had kind of fallen by the wayside. And I'm glad we, I did check out this film cause I uh, enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah. And so, yeah, so kind of like Ken said, uh, if you are not familiar at all with, uh, G- uh with, Kim Ji-Woon, um, yeah, he, he would be known for films like The Tale of Two Sisters that was made in 2003. Uh, he's also known for films like A Bittersweet Life, also a, a really awesome film called The Good, The Bad, and The Weird. Um, Ken, you, you fancy yourself a fan of Westerns, correct? Mm-hmm. Then The Good, Bad, and The Weird is is right up your alley uh, oh no he, actually i have seen that that's another one of his films that i've seen as well that I, and it, it oh, is oh have you yes no absolutely oh it's great oh it's it's fantastic um so yes this uh this film i believe came out and if i'm not mistaken i think it was 2010 2010 um, indeed yes was shot on a budget of six million dollars and i would say gross somewhere around like 12.8 um this also interestingly enough was one of uh kim's Given the nature of this film, which, by the way, before we really dive into this, um, I think it's important that we we put forward a very big trigger warning on this film. Um, this film, I mean, it, it contains a lot of very traumatic imagery and violence and some of it physical and sexual. It's I mean, it is. Um, okay, None of the what? violence in this movie is fun or cool. When you're watching something like Kill Bill, or actually mm-hmm. here, I'll, I'll give you a better example. Watching Django Unchained, <laughs> there are there are ways that when Django is getting his revenge, that the violence is 
definitely played for Tihihi. Isn't this great that he's hurting these people? But when like the two slaves are fist fighting, none of that is shot. Tihihi. Or when yeah. the slaves are getting attacked by the dogs, none of that is Tihihi. All of that is sickening, raw, real, horrifying violence. And there is no Tihihi in this movie. There no. is all of the violence is blunt, in your face, and horrific. Um, the two movies that I thought of the most while watching this, one I definitely know was an influence, and one couldn't have been, but was made around the same time. Uh, the one that it couldn't have been an influence would be Zodiac, because they that movie also came out in 2010. You you would though you would be wrong because he did say that he based a lot of the look of his film on David Fincher, uh, David Fincher's The Zodiac. He actually, oh, that's like, fascinating. Okay. Yeah. So then this yeah, must have Kim, come out Kim, just, yeah. Yeah, Kim, Kim claims um, the overall look of the film, like the dark hues that, that kind of grounds it a little bit more in reality because he, he's, Kim is a director that he's all over the place when it comes to genre. So like he loves sprinkling a whole bunch of color in his films um so but with this one he wanted it more based in reality he, like he doesn't he doesn't want to give his audience a whole lot of time to come up for air in fact like he even claims that in this film there's really only one moment in it written like written for humor and everything else that might be humorous out of this was produced organically um, and the one point of humor is where uh, the killer is trying to hitch a ride and comes across a truck filled with Korean soldiers. And so they're like, they're in like kind of like the, the, the sort of the dead irony of, of everything and him having just been through what he's been through um, hitching a ride with you know, federal law enforcement, more or less. Um, outside of that, all the other points of humor happened organically, which then was edited in to let the audience come up for air every once in a while. But he wanted everyone to feel as uncomfortable as possible. And no, I mean, the other film that I was thinking of with this was No Country for Old Men, mm -hmm. uh, which I'm almost positive was an influence because that's going to be 2007, I want to say. And, and, and the, the scene in particular that made me be like, all right, well, clearly this is what you guys are doing, is the scene where the, uh, the, the, the secret agent character um, is choking out uh, the other guy. And it's almost, other than you don't get the shot of the, uh, the boots scuffing the floor that you get in No Country for Old Men, it's like almost shot for shot, the compositions that they use in No Country. Mm -hmm. And again, the same kind of violence, the way that like Anton Chigurh just kind of comes in and wrecks your wrecks you. Yeah. Um, it, oh, and the they, both, you, uh, they, they both they uh, both storm a pharmacy and steal yeah. a bunch of stuff. And you you know that this is a person that has no qualms with with killing a person or leaving them horribly, horribly disfigured or injured um, if something doesn't go the way that he wants it to go. Mm -hmm. It you you and and be which I think the beauty of it is it, it makes this character completely unpredictable in, in what he's capable of. And, I, and that was something that Kim desperately wanted to 
put across to his audience. Um, I think before we go any further, Ken, could you give me a brief, uh, one of our brief synopses? Yeah, sure. Film? Um, pretty much, um, there is uh, a gentleman who works in uh, who works for the government as an agent, and he is going to marry the uh, the the you know the bosses uh, like the chief. Uh, he's going to marry his daughter, and uh, she is kidnapped by a serial killer played by the guy from Old Boy. And she begs for her life and tells him that she's pregnant and he kills her. And needless to say, the chief and the agent do not take this particularly well. So the agent goes out and requests some, uh, what you would call spy tech, I guess, for lack of a better term. And you think he's just going to go out and uh, kill the guy who killed his uh, fiance and instead he just messes him up real bad but then lets him go and then this cat and mouse game starts between this agent and this serial killer as they um get back at each other and then get revenge for the last thing that happened and then retaliate and then re get revenge for the last thing that happened and the cycle keeps going and going until it stops and uh well that's how the movie ends and we're not gonna totally spoil it uh i mean but yeah i mean right that does yeah. that sound does that sound it's about that, right like, to you? pretty pretty spot on it's um i don't know this this is this is one of those films where you know, you, you see a lot of uh, movies come along where the titles sort of just kind of, it's just there to be there. It's there for the film to have a title. This is one of the, it kind of like the movie Parasite. It's the question of, the, the question in that film is, who's the parasite? Um, in this, there is a genuine question the director is trying to ask you is, who is the devil and who saw the devil? Um, and he tries to give the audience two of them seem very obvious uh one is that uh our protagonist the uh the ns the nsi agent which is pretty much like the cia of south korea um you know it's the the idea is that he saw the devil that he he's come up with this force of pure evil um there's that obvious link there's the reverse because he kind of becomes this monster that he's chasing it's um the director has a, a huge focus on nietzsche um whereas it like in order to hunt a monster one must become said monster um then the, someone i remember like there was an interview with um with this director and they they mentioned that nietzsche also said um to oh gosh what, what was it what, what was it? it was to do something out of love goes past good and bad and to which like the drugs like that's not the Nietzsche thing I that Nietzsche quote I was going for the one I was going for is is in trying to haunt a monster one must ensure that they don't become the monster like that like something similar along like some 
something similar along those lines. Well, uh, like, so one a, of a, a famous Nietzsche quote is like, when you stare into the abyss, the abyss stares back into you. And that's mm-hmm. the same kind of thing where like, that's the thing you have to avoid. But I would say one of the interesting moral quandaries of this movie is that like the main character doesn't become the devil. He's always been pretty screwed up because like, like, okay. So if this movie were to try and posit, well, which one of these two characters is the monster? Huh? Is, did one create the other? What, what, what's happening here now? The, uh, the, to me, the obvious answer is the answer here is both. They're both the devil. They both have seen the devil in seeing themselves in the other person. The fact that they can see under a slightly different set of circumstances that they could be the other one. So I think it's very clear that they're both the devil. Now, what might have been a more interesting approach, and I'm not saying it would be better here, but like if, if the first time the agent goes after the killer, right? And it's kind of like a Rasputin situation. Like he takes the guy, he beats him up, he breaks his skull, he shoots him a couple of times, he throws him in a sack, he ties him up, he tosses him in a river and he floats away and he wipes his hands and says, ah, I got rid of the guy who killed my, my, my fiance. And then that guy washes up on the beach and like broken limbs and all crawls out of the bag and is just alive. Kind of like Rasputin where like they kept trying to kill him. Like they poisoned him and that wasn't enough. They shot him a bunch of times. That wasn't enough. They threw him in a river. That wasn't enough. Then they like shot him and poisoned I feel him. Like that's a, I feel like that's a comedy that needs to be made. I mean, yeah. I mean, like it was like reading the description of what it took to kill Rasputin is borderline hilarious. And I think... <laughs> Like that would have been made, like a way that you could have, like if, if what the director's intent was, was to make you question whether the agent was- I would, I would love to see the director of Death of Stalin make a film about Rasputin. Oh, I mean, that would be amazing. I oh my God, that would be incredible. Um, yeah, but like, so that's like, so, but that's the thing, like, because he like very much beats him up and lets him go. As soon as that killer, which he does, like, goes out to get his rocks off again. Like all of that abuse that he does to these women, that that's kind of on our lead character's hands, which is why I don't think there's any question about like, who's the devil here? The answer is both. Though, Ken, yeah. can you guess what the third possibility could be for the devil? No, <laughs> I love uh, for you, everybody listening. It's just, I love the quizzed look on his face. So yeah, check Kim, us out on YouTube. If you want to see the yeah, quizzed yeah, look please, on please do. It's, it's actually, it's, it's a hoot. Um, but it's Kim says, he's like, like, this is what he was really going for is, is he wants. Oh, is it us? Are we the devil? Yes, we are baby. So it's, I, I know, I know it's, it, it's, but it's the idea of the re- the revenge flick is a is a very formulaic film. Oh, he's going like, for a funny games thing. Okay. Well, it's the it's the idea of like like we eventually catching ourselves taking pleasure in the pain 
of this other person. Have you seen Funny Games? I mean, I it's been so long. I think well, I've I mean, seen like, Funny Games is exactly is exactly that. That's just Michael Haneke being like, "This is what you want." No, 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 you perverts. This is what you want. Look at it. Look at it. You did this to yourselves. Like that's that's my yeah. That's that's you that sick. Movie. You sick sick fucks. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. No. It's oh gosh. It was. Um, he's like the third, and, and this is how he quotes: "Like the third devil, I'm hoping audiences will see is the devil inside one's own self. As an audience member, we see the vengeance carried out, and there's a small corner of ourselves that want it to happen." Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, like 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 the film itself, as he says, like it's about the sadness about the person who dies, but it's about the torture for the ones who live and are left behind. And it's the idea that this this trauma that this killer, the the real trauma that the killer puts on him is the path that he set him on, which is the idea of, like, it, it like for sure this person is it's it's almost like like when he goes to the cannibal with like to the cannibal's house. Oh yes, because let's not forget our uh, serial killer has a cannibal friend, which yes, I believe yes, is actually along the, with all of the violence. Yes, there are cannibals in this fucking thing. Like yeah, it I is, literally there are so many layers notes. to this film. Yeah, one of my notes is, oh, he has a cannibal friend, <laughs> which, wow, just just the amount that just the way he goes to town and that raw meat. Oh, it's disgusting. It, but. What a performance! I mean, the just like, 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 and and that's the craziness of it. He's just like, like, once you've tasted it, it's all you can eat. He's like, I love it so much. It's so good. I just I, can't. I, I was a I want to cook it. It's that they didn't have like more close-up shots of his mouth chewing, but I'm also very glad because I would have yeah. not liked that. It would have yeah. been upsetting. I mean, I, like, there's oh, like there's there's so much I want to talk about with this film because there's so many layers to it. There's so much that's happening. For one thing, it is a long film. One would almost say it's a, it goes a little too long, in my opinion. Yep, I uh, I happen to agree. It's yes. like two twenty, um, and it needs to be like a deuce. Yes, I, I think it just needs to be like twenty minutes shorter. I think they're they're. I think you could have cut out the cannibal house, but I'm glad that that's not what. There, there's I'm, a I'm bunch of trims I think you could have done that would have. I think maybe maybe make it work. I wouldn't. It's hard. The, that kind of thing is hard to say unless you actually get in there and start cutting. Because a lot of times, once you start like like a really good steak, you can start taking out some of the fat, but at some point, you just start taking out all of the flavor. And so once you 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 really need to get in there and start adding. But yeah, I I would I would argue if nothing else, there's at least a good ten minutes in there that you could uh, pare down and just make this a little more. Uh, a, a little bit more of a souffle and it would play better but then again yeah. it's a it's Which, a damn fine film we're talking about it so it's clearly it's clearly yeah. worse but th- this this is strangely enough this this is one of the only like one of the few films that kim says that that south korea actually qu- tried to censor quite a bit he was even worried that it wouldn't get released in his own country um there's actually a really good quote from him um like in response to a question about dealing with censorship for the first time, like Kim says, it was like eating sushi without wasabi, like losing something that was essential to the taste. With the international version, thankfully, I've been able to keep a lot of the wasabi in the film and let it have that full taste. So I'm glad that people will be able to experience the full flavor of the film. 
So this film was cut down quite a bit in his own country. Mm-hmm. But on, on international releases, how we got everything that we see in it. Uh, but I thought it was a great way to to put it across. It's like it's like having sushi without wasabi. I fucking yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but yeah, yeah. This is this is one of those because yeah, there there is so much to touch upon in terms of the performers, the the story itself, the the consequences of this this protagonist's actions. And like, like, like for one thing, we just, I like, we have to talk about Choi Ming Sik, who plays the serial killer. Um, he's, uh, I mean, if, if any of you folks know him, you would most likely know him from the film Old Boy, to which he looks almost nothing like he does in this film. He does like 50% of the time. Like half the time he's pretty like cleaned up and his hair's combed. And then like half the time he looks like a stone cold lunatic. And mm-hmm. this along with old boy uh, definitely goes along for making like his hammer duology. I'm not sure if he's got a third movie where he beats people to death with hammers. Yeah. Uh, but if he does, then he's got a trilogy, a hammer trilogy. Though I, I would say the old boy shot of this film absolutely has to be that taxi scene where he gets picked up by those two, um, by two other killers. Yeah, well, like not killers. I would say more like two other petty Ruffins. criminals. Yeah, yeah, they are like to me. They are, you know, like, you know, uh, they are picking people up in well, not in an Uber, but in taxis, and then just doing crimes. crimes. Yeah. yeah, they they likely were planning to kill them because they had a knife and everything. And I, um, but, but there is a shot in this which I'm. I was so impressed by, it. and it's just, it is a stabbing frenzy, but all the while the camera's just going around the cab more. It's just so well choreographed. It's so well put together. It's It reminded me of a less impressive version of that scene in the car in Children of Men. Like it's the same kind of approach, but they just didn't quite have the money or the budget that yeah, obviously yeah, Children of I'd, Men would have. Yeah, I would say that's that's a solid way to to put that across. It, yeah, it's, like, like it's only not as impressive because like they didn't have the money to like cut a car apart and do all the stuff that like, because if you look at what goes into these shots in Children of Men, it is not like a bunch of scrappy low budget filmmakers. That is like a, no, no, they had a couple of cars and they cut them into pieces and there's like a 3D, you know, remote controlled wire rig. And then on top of that, all the actors are like ducking around it. And this is kind of like that, but not mm-hmm. nearly as complicated, but they didn't have nearly the money. So yeah. it's not, and, and you it's, know. But- and it's interesting too because uh, this is like Choi Min Sik's um, first film, and like, f- like he he had been off for like I think four years. Yeah, um, just kind of was taking a little bit of a break, and and Kim, I think he was working on another project, and this is actually the first thing that he's done that he didn't have a direct hand in either writing or helping create the story, and it was because he was working on a previous project that got delayed like uh, quite a bit. And so uh, Choi ended up, uh, the, the actor playing the killer, actually brought this script to him and he, he loved it. And, and then you have the actor Lee Byung-hoon who plays the, um, the protagonist who originally Kim wanted for the role, but he had assumed that he was going to be in the States because at the time uh lee byung hyun if you don't know him he was in the good the bad and the weird 
but he's also in the G.I. Joe films. And so like he he was he was working on G.I. Joe 2 at the time. And I think they were sitting at a premiere and they were sitting next to each other. And he just he would talk to us like, oh, I was like, I had, I had this part that would have been perfect for you, but you're gonna be in the States at the time. I was like, well, funny you might say that because that film also got delayed quite a bit for a year, in fact. At which point almost immediately he cast him. Um it's it, it, I don't know. It, it's one of those these these cases where everything just kind of worked out perfectly. But this is his first project that he didn't have a direct hand in writing, um, so he kind of had a little bit more room to just sort of like play mm-hmm. instead of worrying. And he had a lot less to worry about in terms of just the creation of the story and 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 where like had like he already had a writer. He already had somebody who was overseeing the script um and overseeing the adaptation so it, i don't know it, it, it's it's really fascinating because if you go on and you look up the making of this film they have literally just video of them on set working there's no interviews there's no people talking to the camera about what the experience was like it is literally just watching them work um which is really fascinating because you see Choi working on set and he looks adorable um like he's literally like in like the woman that he picks up from the the bus stop that he pummels to death in in his car in his taxi with um which by the way his character's are like a bus driver he buses kids back and forth to school which is terrifying um but like you just see him like community like like joking around with the actress and like testing out the pipe just to see like how it feels on himself because he's gonna hit her with it mm-hmm. and he's just like testing i was like ah and he pretends to like hurt him. I don't know. He, he's just kind of, he's ador- he, He's just adorable on camera. And so it's weird to see that contrasted with this, what I can only describe as a, just a terrifying human being. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, there, and like, I mean, I, I do not enjoy scenes nor should anybody enjoy scenes like that, like scenes with sexual assault. Like it's, but one of the things that I do appreciate about this film is that there's a lot of people who like to call this torture porn. I could not possibly agree, like this, I like, I disagree adamantly with that because yes, there is violence, there's gore, there's sexual assault, but the director is very selective in what you see. Like the, like the violence against women, for the most part, you really don't witness. Um, like you, you take certain camera angles, like when the wife at the beginning tells the killer, please don't kill me, I'm pregnant. And it's just him looking at her. You don't see him, you don't see her die. You hear the sound of the knife going down, but it never shows you the knife going into her. I think Tim Roth, for example, would have done that. I think he would have shown her decapitated. Eli um, Roth, you mean? Or sorry, Eli, Eli Roth. Yeah, not Tim Roth, very different person. Um, and the same thing with the sexual assault. Like it brings you just to the point of, oh fuck, I'm about to see this. And then he lets off. 
Um, he well, that, that's something he very much takes from Fincher and from Seven in particular, where in Seven, you almost don't see, you, you don't see pretty much any violence at all. Everything that you see, you th- see through black and white photos. You see the or aftermath. through impressions. Yeah, you see the aftermath, but you don't see the actual act of violence itself. Yeah, and, and there, I mean, in this film, there is for sure acts of violence. Oh, yes. Horrible, horrible acts of violence. There is groin smashing. Um, there, I mean, there is there there is an Achilles tendon Ugh, shot, yeah. which was Yikes. It, that one and the the pulling apart of the jaw were the two that kind of had me in, in that cringy state. But like, like that was like, good I, times. I would not define this as torture porn, like because when people think torture porn, they think hostile. They think they think Eli Roth. Um, I would. I agree with you. I my as soon as anyone uses that term, I say okay. So we agree that the Passion of the Christ is torture porn, and almost always they're like, well, in which case I'm like, well then shut up, because that like that movie is the definition of watching suffering, and that's the point. That's literally the point of that movie, and if they can't start there. Like if they want to make some sort of separation, I actually like Hostel and Hostel Two. I actually think they're of of the movies of that genre. I will take them over the Saw movies any day of the week. By a oh, I agree. I over over Saw over Saw definitely. I I, I over Saw over Wrong Turn over almost all of those movies. I will take the hostile movies. I think those are like the, the of that genre. Those yeah. are the ones that I, do I would certainly best. take them. I would certainly take them over Wolf Creek. Oh, for sure, over Wolf Creek. Wolf Creek is one of those. Wolf Creek, a, amazing central performance, can really leave mo- like d- didn't really enjoy the movie. Thought the central performance was very very strong. And like he's terrifying, but like I also don't you see want a, to watch. Did you see it they made a t- they made a TV show out of that? Did yes, they did. That? Yes, they did. I did not see it. I'm familiar with it. Um, I, and I heard I it watched was, the first. Oh, okay, yeah, Same I thing watched the, the first episode, and I just I couldn't. It's yeah. it's it's too much. Because mm-hmm. it yeah yeah. Hmm. Anywho, but like yeah, no. This I I think this film. Sure, like the violence is in some way the point, but it there there's more happening. There's so much more going on there that needs to get picked that, that that can be picked apart. I don't know. I like I'm curious on your opinion as to where this would fall in that category. I mean, to me, this is a it's a very typical serial killer revenge story. The thing that makes this movie different is that our main character, as opposed to being a schlubby detective or a PI or just a regular dad, he, this is kind of like uh, this. I mean, like this has kind of a lot to do with like taken where like everything would have been fine for the, uh, for the serial killer anyway, had he just not kidnapped the wrong lady. Like, you know, I have a certain set of skills and so now you're going to pay for it. And that's what really makes this movie different. That's what makes this movie bump up against movies like The Man from Nowhere um, and some of other Korean noirs that kind of bump into the hitman genre, the, the hitman gangster genre a little bit 
more rather than just being a straight noir. Like this has more, this would be more in a genre with something like say Guy Ritchie does, which again is very, like very stylistically very different from this, but that kind of hitman gangster story, but also not necessarily just like purely a gangster story, kind of a, a genre. And, and that's where this would fall for me. There's some other things that are interesting or that make this movie fall more into a traditional serial killer route in the fact that the, the killer himself is kind of an incel and that there's clearly some sort of sexual, not deviancy, but... Um, uh, there's a definite hatred towards women. Well, a definite hatred for towards women and a uh, like a, 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 a sexual inability of some sort that he is using to drive his anger. There is uh, one of the things that makes this movie really different is that the serial killer is out to kill. He's not out to create it like a hostage situation. He's not out to create genre, like uh, like uh, drama. He's not out to make videos. He's not out no, to make a skin it's, it's suit. It's the thrill. It's the all. It's the but the like, thrill but of the like game. it's the thrill of the game. But also when it time like he doesn't keep people alive. Like the, the cannibal, the cannibal from a logistics of serial killing standpoint is a much more uh wild cards character he's got a girlfriend he keeps victims alive well, i wish got, that like, they went into more detail about her well like he's got a whole cooler full of body parts that he regularly consumes like there's just a lot going on in his house from like a housekeeping perspective that makes what he's doing much more oh i could get caught where our main killer is very much brass tacks down to business. Like when it's time to kill somebody, it's just like, well, boom, you're dead. Like he just beats your head in with a hammer or some sort of blunt pipe, or he stabs you to death with a knife. Um, and then he, or then he like takes you hostage and then like, but like, there's no, there's no he takes them back to his house and he tortures him for a while but then when the detective shows up it ends up being a big like you know i've got her and you see i'm the one who's in control and then that delaying is what allows the detective to get the upper hand there's none of that this guy is kind of like yeah no, no no i had them now they're dead no i mean i didn't, and I didn't keep them around there's a and because the the cat and mouse game that they play with them is fascinating in this and it the you just, you can tell that the protagonist played by Lee is, is trying to get something out of him. Like, like and at the end, the, the, the final scene between the two of them, which I, I think is brilliant, where he's genuinely like wants to see this person show some form of remorse and or like wants him to beg for his life, wants him to to be brought down to this pathetic shell of a human being, but ultimately he he's won from, from, from the moment he killed his wife. Like he's won, like, cause he's turned him into this monster and he knows it. Like it's, it's the idea of like, 
and he enjoys it. He enjoys this. Like there, there's a point to where he, he genuinely revels in how much he got to him. Well, he, he, he's reveling in that. He revealed that this guy was just as bad as he's been, because as I said before, like he, he goes and catches this guy and then he tortures him and then he lets him go so he can fuck with him more. He's just as bad as this killer who like beats a woman's face in with a pipe and then brings him, her back to his lair and lets her wake up and plead for her life. And then he kills her, even though like he could have, and he does this like more than once. It's not an accident. He likes beating these women unconscious and within an inch of their lives and then taking them back to his lair and then finishing him off there. And our main character, the instant that he lets go, the main, the, he lets go the killer so he can do this again, even though he's doing it to torture this guy, that makes him just as bad. And what I think the killer is reveling in is, is revealing that this guy, you know, that he's not this sicko. He's not the devil. Everyone's the devil. Yeah. Well, what, what, what makes this different from a lot of revenge films that you see is, is the type of revenge that's happening. It's, um, what was I wrote this down? Like, it's a very narcissistic kind of revenge. Like, but at one point in this process, like he becomes like, dangerously obsessive like as soon as he starts making mistakes like he also abuses others along the way like they, like this is shown like at its most like extreme like in the last act of this film um to the point where like his the narcissism in his revenge takes the form of him eventually har- like the protagonist harming other people and i'm not talking about the people that the killer gets to that he inflicts damage on the killer's estranged family. Like he invites them, like, like spoilers, everyone, if you don't, if you desperately like want to see this film at this point, like spoilers, but like the ending is very important in the sense that like he then becomes the abuser. Like, like he, he subjects this family who their only sin is being related to this piece of human garbage. Um, and so well, the only it. way he can get even with the killer is for him to do something so screwed up to the killer's family. Therefore, like much like, you know, what's unfair to the, the family to, from the killer is that like, you know, the killer just takes away their daughter. Um, this is then, you know, the only thing that our agent can do to get even then is to do something so personal to the killer but that makes him arguably, as I've been saying since the beginning, makes him very clearly both the devil and what, what and what haunts them both. Well, like what haunts one and drives the other is seeing the devil in the other. Mm-hmm. Precisely. And which is, um, yeah, no, the, these roles were very trying on these two actors, especially Choi, the, the, the killer. Um, it, there's two stories that I, cause I've read a whole bunch of different interviews with like the director and like these two actors and in two separate interviews, um, there's two different elevator stories that he tells mm-hmm. where Choi was going from one location to the other in the middle of shooting and happened to be in the elevator with a stranger. And his hair was, he had to, he had to keep this hairstyle all throughout this entire time. And there was this person in the elevator with him 
who was incredibly rude to him, um, not really knowing who he was or what was going on. And the actress says, like, like, like I, he goes, I remember having a very visceral automatic thought come to mind where I thought I would really like to beat this person. Maybe I should beat this person. And it was so automatic and it kind of scared him a little bit. Um, but then like on a lighter note, like after the film had come out, he was in an elevator with this random woman, but she recognized him from the film and she was terrified. Like she was terrified of him. And he just goes, Oh, it's okay. I don't kill people anymore. And it's, it's, so it's just the, the idea that it, it, this is a, it, it's a very, I, I, I can't imagine kind of what a role like this does to an actor's psyche, but it, it's, I don't know. I could I could go on for ages about this film, but we're we're starting to run out of time, so I kind of want to start wrapping this up. Um, but overall, like, so Ken, what what are your kind of final thoughts on this film? Like, like what led like what did you get out of it? I would say this is a great movie to check out if you are interested in South Korean cinema, if you like new noirs or serial killer narratives. I would say this movie is really solid to check out if you are a filmmaker who are looking for movies where the violence really scars where it really hits you remember every hit every every piece of brutality every slash every bludgeoning in this film really resonates and if you're a filmmaker and you're looking for a way to make your violence stick with your audience this is well worth checking out i think it's also got some fascinating performances from its two leads and it also has some amazing cinematography particularly nighttime low light, uh, low level cinematography that are well worth checking out. Okay. Marvelous. And yeah, I, I, yeah, this is, this is a film I, I, I really enjoy. It's not the best word to use for it, but like, this, I like, I found this to be a very powerful film. There's, um, it, 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 there's a lot of audience experimentation. I think that, that that's going on here. Um, so I would highly recommend folks check it out. You had some issues finding it on shutter didn't you uh, i just had a, a problem uh with my account i think it was just on, on my end uh I, I i think what it is is so sometimes on amazon there will be uh, the movie will be available through multiple streaming services and i think just the way that the search engine came up i ended up with one through a search engine that isn't uh shutter wow, but okay. i was able to uh i was able to find it um through another service um, so it is out there. I mean, and if you don't have Shutter uh, and you're still listening to this, a you should definitely get it. It's well worth the uh, the money. However, if you do not have that, this is available on Crackle and a couple other um, streaming services with ads. But you will be able to see the movie. Okay, marvelous. Well, Ken. With that being said, uh, as we come to the end of our 40th episode, goddamn, it's been cool. It's been quite the journey. Um. But yeah, so Ken, what what movie have you picked for, for our 41st episode? I have picked as an option for the internet to select for maybe us to watch would be the 2015 film directed by Joe Lynch, Everly, where Selma Hayek plays a Yakuza sex worker who's pretty not happy about it and murders a fuck ton of people as she tries to get out of her situation. It rules. Awesome, possum. Yeah. Well, 
Ken, I have uh, I have picked, uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I do believe this is a Shutter exclusive called The Soul Collector. It's a 2019 film okay. um, uh, directed by Harold Holscher um, uh, about an old man fated to collect souls for eternity who seeks atonement after trading his daughter's soul. Um, it, it looks very fascinating. So yeah, uh, Ken, with that being said, you got yourself some pluggables to plug? Well, I got a couple of things I can plug uh, myself on both the Twitters and the Instagram at Ken Stachnik, K-E-N-S-T-A-C-H-N-I-K. You can check out the Shutter Show mascot, my dog, Freddy Potatoes, at Freddy Potatoes, both on Instagram and Twitter. You can check us out, Shutter Show, on Twitter at Shutter Show. You can also email Show at gmail.com. David, from what I understand, we also have an Instagram, something you run. What is that? Oh, boy, baby, do we? Um, no, we have an Instagram page at shutter underscore show, which is managed by myself, where we, which is where we post all of our polls. So if you want to pick between these two films for us to discuss, that is where you go. Check out our stories, go up on the polls and vote for which one you want. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, to all of our non-binary friends, to everyone on the spectrum and in between Thank you all so much for joining us. We love the absolute shit out of your out of you guys, but most importantly, good night, good luck, and go fuck yourself and get the fucking next. Oh my god, and wash your hands. Wow. Fuck all you. Right. Good night, everybody. Love you.